Hi, welcome to Interrogatories with Josh Campson. This is your host, Josh Campson. Today's interview is a first. This is our first West Coast interview. Uh, Sam Malai is the founder of Legal Funnel. He's also the founder of Malai Law, where he helps people start their businesses and gives uh, advice on that. But his main gig right now is helping lawyers like yours truly uh, learn more about automation, about getting clients online. So this one is very much you know, about his background. Uh, he is an Iranian by birth and emigrated here and now you know, came to America when he was a kid. So he has some very interesting stories about that, growing up as a Jew in Iran uh, and coming over here when he was in elementary school. This is a pretty interesting interview, different than what we've seen before. And, you know, we've got some good tips in here about marketing and handling your firm and building a firm. So if that's anything you're interested in, which I hope it is, uh, make sure to listen and then check Sam out as well. So again, if you enjoyed it, we hope you'll leave a review on iTunes. And if not, you know, keep it to yourself. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. Sam, thanks for joining us in interrogatories. Thank you so much, Josh. I'm excited. So you're our first non-Montgomery Bar member. Uh, I don't know if that's an honor or a disservice to you, <laughs> but it could be I'll either. Take I'll take it. And, and you're in California, right? I am, Los Angeles. So California. we met because I took one of your courses. I took your legal funnel course on marketing and managing um, a law firm, which is very interesting. And you know, you kind of have a different day-to-day, -day, right? I mean, is that your main thing that you are helping teach other lawyers about automation or is your main gig your, your actual law practice? It's actually creating processes uh, behind creating online law firms and then uh, creating it, figuring out the lead generation, client generation side of it, and then uh, creating systems to be able to serve the clients properly and be able to handle the retaining, serving the clients, and then also creating systems for gathering a lot of Google reviews and then just doing that over and over and over. So I have about, I don't even know how many, it sounds weird, seven to 10 of these online law firms. And now also teach lawyers to, to do the same. Wait, let me back that up a second. So you have seven to 10 law firms? Yeah, pretty much online law firms uh, in different niches. But essentially, all of them have the same foundation. It's a lot of online marketing with a lot of delegation and a lot of automation to be able to serve the clients. What are the, I mean, because I know you as a, as a business and entrepreneur lawyer, you know, help people get their business up and running. Um, what are the other firms doing? I actually ran, and for the past 12 months, I've been running the most successful online lemon law firm um, all across the US. Also do in, Cal in California, I do employment law. I've also done a little bit of PI. I, I dabble in PI here and there for many years. Um, and then a couple of same law firms in the same niches pretty much and also have a couple of other um, business services for foreigners including tax ids itins and things like that the specific to foreigners like when you say foreigners you mean non-us residents or do you mean non-californians yeah non-us uh, non-us residents now you have a little bit of an accent people may have picked up on because our audio here is very good top notch here at interrogatories uh, <laughs> are you from the u.s originally I'm from Iran. I actually immigrated from Iran when I was eight years old. I'm actually Jewish. So, you know, living a Jew living in Iran, it's like kind of a dichotomy. So actually my family left because of religious dis uh, discrimination. And um, at the time, it was a, kind of like a surprise to me. Uh, my parents came to me and were like, they're like, essentially, we're leaving. And we've got to do it fast because we don't want our neighbors and the government to know that we're leaving. 
So we had to sell our house, uh, sell everything inside our house, sell our house within what seemed like a month or two. And uh, my actually my craziest story that I have from uh, living in Iran was in first grade. I went to first grade there. They would line up. Uh, they would line up all the kids and um, army length apart, and they would make us chant "Death to America, Death to Death to Israel," which is a crazy thing to kind of share the story now. But that was the reality then. Imagine like seven-year-old, eight-year-olds, literally them making you chant this death threats to a foreign entity that you have no idea what you know. I have no idea what America was. Uh, you know, I was Jewish, so I know what Israel was. But so I would find myself chanting death to america and skipping the part where it says death to israel and, and i came here came to america came to america realized how special and amazing this country is and this dichotomy of these two worlds of america you know that gives you so much freedom so many opportunities versus this country that kind of brainwashes you and, and tells you what you should think it, you know opened up my eyes and and you know that led me to being being so grateful and you know being happy to be here wait a minute back that up a second so you're in seventh or eighth grade did you say you were seventh grade or seven years old i was seven years old and then seven okay. or eight years old in first grade basically and uh this is in just a regular school that everyone goes to yeah regular public school um and then the school name the funny thing is the school name was named after a jihad <laughs> which is somebody who dies for the cause essentially so yeah public school that was named after <laughs> jihad and where they would make kids <laughs> chant these things that's uh, pretty intense. It is. And I grew up thought like it was like a dream or nightmare, but no, it was reality. <laughs> my, my, my mom had to tell me, no, it was real. So yeah, it sounds pretty crazy, but it was, it was real life. So how long from when they said, hey, uh, little Sam, we're moving until you arrived in the US? Um, it took us a month or two to come here. So we pretty much everything was so sudden because again, we didn't want people to know. So, you know, if the government finds out that then they're going to try to stop you. They don't want wealth leaving. So if you're wealthy, then, you know, you got to somehow get your wealth out. Um, so, you know, it was a struggle, but being here makes you appreciate, you know, all the other side, what it, was, what it was like. Yeah, absolutely. And did you come right to LA? Yeah, we came to LA. Um, pretty much became US citizens within a couple of years. I was young enough to be become a US citizen under my parents. And ever since then, you know, being part of society, paying our taxes, doing we can and creating good value for the people around us. And, you know, thank, thankfully, uh, super grateful to be here. So when you came over, why LA? Any idea why your parents chose LA? Did they, are they actors? No, just uh, LA and New York. Um, those kind of metropolis uh, cities are like a main central places for a lot of immigrants. So no, that was just one of the main central places for, um, you know, for us to come here. And did you already speak English when you came here? No, I didn't speak English at all. And I was actually dropped in, in class in third grade. I skipped second grade, came here and got dropped onto a third grade class where I did not have any friends who spoke Farsi. So I literally had to learn actually from watching TV and I would put on <laughs> captions. So I learned through captions. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Uh, no no Rosetta Stone for kids or anything? No, when you're young enough, you can learn pretty fast. And especially if you're forced to, you know, as you get older, it gets harder. So it, was, it wasn't that bad. It took me like a big year or two to pick it up. And do you speak any other languages? Uh, Hebrew as well. Uh, I could read, learn, talk a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's beside it. Oh, so that's only it. three? Yep. Um, well, I guess 
I don't even know why we had you on. I mean, because it's very, that's almost embarrassing. Three languages. I mean, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure most lawyers could do that. That's, that's not even anything to write home about. But yeah. no, that's, uh, that's great. So what made you become a lawyer? Um, believe it or not, it was just my friends wanted to become a lawyer. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, it was at the crucial stage when I was in my third year of college. I was at UCLA and I was trying to figure out what to do next. So, my, you know, my parents kind of put in my head is that you have to continue the education. You have to go to grad school. So in my head, I'm like, there's only three options, medical school, business school, or law school, not medical school. I was never like into health and sciences. Then I considered business school. And then also there was also law school. And then because I guess just from peer pressure of like seeing my friends, uh, you know, go for it. I did too. And I didn't even know what law was until I really, you know, graduated from law school, became, became a lawyer, worked for a little bit in employment law. And then I finally realized what law is. And then um, even before I even passed the bar, I was even contemplating, do I really want to be a lawyer? Um, long story short, I basically decided to go on my own as soon after I passed the bar. And it became more of, you know, creating websites, learning the business side of running a law firm. And now to this day, I mo most of my attention goes to that, you know, the business side of running a law firm. Yeah. And so in law school, did you have any internships or work anywhere, you know, clerking, that kind of thing? Yeah, I did. I had a pretty exciting experience at the DA's office for, um, for high tech. So where we would basically be uh, prosecuting um, hackers and people that would, that would basically take, uh, take advantage of technology. Uh, that was pretty cool. I have a lot of stories about that. And then um, also worked in employment law. So my only legal experience is in employment law. And in California, employment law is uh, very plaintiff friendly. Yeah. They would do a lot of plaintiff, uh, plaintiff employment work. So I did that too. Nice. And so you're in law school, you're working at the DA's office, trying out employment law, not sure you like it. And then you decide, you know what I'd rather do is uh, create online law firms. I mean, just that classic transition. How does that you know, what was the conversation? Were there too many drinks, too many cups of coffee? How did you get to that? Um, it was actually when I was contemplating what I should do. I'm like, I don't necessarily love what I'm doing in, in, right now in law. I talked to one of my friends who graduated law school one year ahead of me. And he told me that he went on his own and that he was one year in and, you know, it was working out for him. And, and I basically, the idea was that if he can do it, so can I, that kind of inspired me to do it. I did that. And, you know, I, I didn't know that I was going to you know, run multiple websites, uh, run multiple law firms. So what I did was I created my first website and I had to figure out how to fill it up. Now that I filled it up, how do you get clients from it? So I learned blogging and then I learned SEO and then I learned about Google ads and I got to learn about funnels. And I fell into this whole world of pretty much client generation online and then fell in love with it. It felt like a big jigsaw puzzle that I had to solve where how do I get people who don't know me at all? Um, and I don't, they don't get to meet me in person or they don't even need to talk to me on the phone. How do I get them to trust me enough to want to hire me? Can you give me an example of a challenge, you know, that you had to overcome in the last week or so, something that, uh, you know, the jigsaw came together for you or for a client that you were helping with? Sure. So for, I mean, let me see what I can come up with, but you know, for every niche, legal niche, there's different sources that could work out better for certain for certain types of law. Um, ultimately, it comes down to, for the most part, either Google or Facebook. That's pretty much, for most lawyers, 70% of clients will come from one of those two sources. So if you are an attorney, it's very important to know what is gonna be your main primary source 
from either Google or Facebook. And then make sure to go hire dedicated freelancers, ideally a dedicated freelancer um, who can help help you set up those systems. Um, it's very important to know exactly, you know, again, which source is best for you and then make sure that that's set up for you. And then something also I noticed uh, last week when I was talking to a couple of our students is at the end of every month when you do marketing, the question always, obviously besides knowing how it's doing, you know, okay, this this source, it cost me $2,000. It brought me, you know, 12 leads. I signed up four clients from it. That means my cost requisition was this month. Besides knowing that, the second question I always ask is, do I want to do more of it? Do I want to, do I want to spend more or should I completely cut this out? There, you should never stay stagnant. You should never continue doing the same thing that you were doing a month before. You should always be, should it be more or should it be eliminated? And when you ask that hard question, then that's when you start scaling and growing from that point on. If you're just, if you look at your marketing, if you've been doing the same thing or spending the same amount of money as the month before, that's probably the reason why you haven't grown as much. So always find any excuse to try to spend more and do more. Um, and a lot of times lawyers don't do the correct calculation of how much they should spend in marketing. Um, most lawyers have the upside down kind of mentality is how much does it cost me? The mentality always is, what is this going to do for me? And what's the value if this does work out? So, you know, instead of legal fund, I teach that. And I know Josh went through this to kind of figure out how much is a client worth to me? How many clients do I want? And then creating a budget based on that and then sticking with that budget for the next three months. Um, very simple math, very simple mindset to kind of shift. As soon as you do that, your marketing and uh, your marketing spend will be a lot more, will go a lot further if you set that up upfront and plan it out basically for yourself. So when you're working with these clients, uh, you know, law firms, et cetera, and they do start to expand, hopefully exponentially, uh, how do you help them when it comes to, you know, more, do you help people when it comes to more boots on the ground? You know, when it's time to recruit another lawyer, people can only be in one place at once for the most part, that kind of thing, you know, cause that's kind of a growing pains issue that some people deal with. I know that's something that we deal with as the practice has grown. And, you know, I kind of have a niche, uh, child welfare slash criminal practice. And I'm the only one here that does what I do. Uh, so, you know, I, but I can only be in one place at one time. Right. So what do you tell people when they're struggling with that? Every lawyer needs to hire more. It doesn't matter who you are, whatever law firm you run, how big it is or small it is. You always need more help. A lot of people hire based on where they are now, the wait for them to get, you know, saturated or to get that's stressed to be able to hire that at that point, it's already too late. That's like warning signs that something's too late. You always want to hire six months ahead. Don't hire based on where you are hire on where you want to be in six months. Okay. And your actions now should always be based on where you want to be in six months. Not where, again, where you are now. So again, it's a lot of his mind, mindset shifts that you're going to make for yourself. A lot of it is understanding that time horizon and uh, doing things now that you need in six months. So you didn't go to business school, but now you're doing, you're running these law firms, you're helping people create these law firms, you're putting these systems in place. And what resources do you think you've found that you recommend to other people to read, uh, watch, et cetera, besides your own courses, obviously? Sure. Uh, so it comes down to three. Uh, number one is, you know, follow somebody who's already done it before you. It's the fastest shortcut because you don't have to figure it out on yourself, whether it be online courses or a mentor. That's by far the best way. Number two is YouTube, YouTube videos, a lot of YouTube. I watch a crazy amount of YouTube on 1.7 or two times speed. Um, not about general stuff. It always has to be very specific to either 
client generation, business, marketing, things like that. And third is books, straight up books. Uh, it's, it's the one thing that everybody knows about, but nobody really does. Um, there's been so many times in my life when, when it comes to business, where I was like, like later on, years later, I'm like, oh my goodness, I do this because of this one book that I read like two years ago. So, you know, you go, when you read a book, you go in depth and you, your mind also takes some time to like think about it and kind of meditate on it. So over time, if you read a really good book and you actually implement it, it could literally make, you know, add on a hundred thousand dollars into your revenue just from one book. Can you give me one or two examples of books that you've read that you can really uh, think, oh, I do X because of book Y? Yeah. You guys uh, pull out the, the four hour work week? Yeah. The four hour work week is a really good one by Tim Ferriss. And then the other one is Dot Com Secrets by Russell uh, Brunson, who's, a, who's the ClickFunnels founder, who teaches about these funnel, uh, these funnel systems. And that was also another book that really opened up my eyes to this whole world of online businesses, how these online, online businesses are able to generate uh, clients and customers. And I basically took the Dot Com Secrets book and applied it for the legal field. And that's what, basically what legal funnel is. So perfect transition. Um... Um, I'm just okay at them, but that was terrific. It's like you've done this before. Tell me, what is legal, your company legal funnel? What's a funnel? You know, most people listening to this, uh, the only funnel they're aware of is the kind they used in undergrad and law school for beer and other intoxicating beverages. So, you know, what is that? So, legal funnel coaches lawyers to automate their dream virtual law firm. Okay, so there's a little bit different components of it. So, it's a coaching program that teaches lawyers to automate, okay? So automate, so you'll be able to run it by itself. That sounds too good to be true, but it is possible to automate their dream virtual law firm. So it's a complete virtual, you to run it for essentially from your laptop. Um, it's I started this program about now a year and a half ago. We have 140 40 or so uh, lawyers who have been through the program. Um, and Pretty much, it's uh, what. Let's talk about what what is legal funnel. And what, I mean, what is the funnel system? Essentially, it's a series of pages um, and other components of emails and videos that you create for your prospects to be able to go through, in order for them to become your clients. That the end goal is for them to become your signed, retained clients. So, what do you have to do to get them there? That's what legal funnel teaches you. It's a very systematic way to be able to approach that process, to increase your chance of getting total strangers who have these problems and getting them to become your clients because you can serve them. So what's a funnel then? Uh, a series of pages that leads your prospects down a very particular path to get them to become your clients, basically. And how does that work for, uh, you know, I understand how that works. Well, I understand how that works. Why don't you explain to other people, you know, I, I guess it would be pretty embarrassing for you having taken the course if I didn't know the answer, um, <laughs> but I understand how the funnel works, but can you give us the overview of how does one get from uh, Googling, you know, bald guy with a bow tie to hiring me to help them get their kids back? I love it. So there's three different components of it. And I'm going to, you know, things are going to be on a very macro level. And there's a lot, obviously a lot more detail on how you actually implement it as a whole different ballgame. Yeah, of course. On a very macro level, the first part is traffic. That means these are where your dream clients are going to be coming from, which I kind of mentioned early on. It's either going to come from Google or from Facebook. That's your traffic source for the most part. The second part is now you got to um, send them to your funnel. Funnel is the, is the second part of this uh, second element of this system where you basically, the first, uh, the, what you want to do in your funnel is to be able to capture your prospects contact information. So you could follow up with them over time. And then inside this funnel, you also want to nurture them and build a relationship through videos 
and automated emails. And you also, this funnel, what you, want to, what you want to do is you send them to a very particular page that gets them to take your desired action, which is for lawyers, it's either going to be scheduled bookings or to just give you a direct call. So it just forces these prospects to be able to, again, collect the information, nurture them, and then push them to whatever you want. And you make that very obvious and very clear what you want them to do. And the more you're able to do that in a more you know, crystal clear fashion, then the more clients you will get from the system. And the third aspect of it is automation. Now that you've built out the system, how to automate that process to be able to do this over and over 24 seven around the clock, once you create it, then people are entering your funnels and become your clients and or doing scheduled bookings with you 24 seven around the clock. And how did you discover you know, the click funnel idea and um, the dot-com book that you'd mentioned earlier? What, what kind of brought you to that path? I guess I may have crossed, uh, crossed them by seeing like a YouTube video or maybe seeing their Facebook ads, but you know, they're that, that a bold promise, like this one tool that allows you to sell your services or products online to, to anyone online. And I was like, wow, it's like a pretty bold promise. That's all I need to be able to do this. And the more I read into it, the more I realized, wait, this could be applied to the legal field. And nobody, if anything, nobody has even applied it to the legal field yet. So I got really fascinated by it and became kind of obsessed trying to figure out how can I make this work. And my first funnel was actually a funnel where we would send people to go fill out an application and to submit the payment. Um, and then I basically, I would create this funnel and and then, you know, the funnel will do its thing. And, and I, I would wake up in the morning and I would get notifications that this this client paid $297, this client paid $497. And I was basically making quote unquote passive income. And I was like, whoa, this is so cool. I got to create as many of these as I can. And I kind of literally replicated it. I literally went into my ClickFunnels account, duplicated it, just changed the wordings. And I did that for my second funnel, did that for the third funnel and started replicating the same thing over and over again. And so when did you make the decision, hey, I've got to teach other people you know, how to do this as opposed to just keeping those uh, secret sauces to yourself and you know, running the best lemon law and best uh, entrepreneurial law, et cetera, et cetera, firms that you could. Um, two years ago, I decided to create a Facebook group where, you know, I didn't have a exact vision of what I was going to do with it, but I knew this is something that I knew that I could talk about. So I created the Facebook group, just started creating videos and creating content to teach other lawyers about this behind the scenes of lead, lead generation. And then six months in after I created the Facebook group, I went to the ClickFunnels conference and I received this two comma club award from ClickFunnels for generating over a million dollars online using one of these uh, funnels for my law firm. At that point, that was kind of like a, a mental shift for me to be like, okay, I, I kind of proved it. Now that I've proved that it does work because I've now I've done it to be able to serve 4,000 legal clients for myself. It's not just in you know, our theory or things that I think that it will work. No, this is based on things that I've actually done. Now let me go teach other lawyers to do the same. Um, and then during that time, I also received my second one. I'm actually about a month or two months away from the, from the third one. There's also a fourth one, which I won't see, won't receive the award for because it's not a ClickFunnels funnel. Um, but it's, it, again, it's the same concepts. And the cool part is, which a lot of people don't understand, it's very, very early in the stage of, of lawyers understanding this funnel concept. So if you are listening right now, go read, read the book.com secrets, you know, check out uh, click funnel, check out legal funnel, because it's still very, we're in the early stage. And I said the same thing last year and I see now a little bit more of like in, uh, more lawyers kind of getting into it. So you know, the sooner you can get into it, the better.
Yeah, unless you're a criminal defense or child welfare attorney, because then you're my competitors. So if you're if if you're that, yeah. turn it off now. <laughs> turn it off, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that's great. So you know, and it seems like it's worked out for you, and it's good that you've been able to really follow your dream in business development as well as online uh, nerdy tech stuff, right? Tech stuff, and then just having the freedom of uh, freedom of time, which is the whole point of this. You know, the point isn't just to get more clients um, and make more money. That doesn't drive me at all. I haven't bought anything new in the past year or two. So I could care less about that. But I do love waking up whenever I want. I do love being able to work at one and one at night. I feel like it. So having that country, uh, complete control of time is what drives me. Um, and I want the same for your audience, Josh, is that complete freedom of time and freedom, uh, freedom of control. So I, people don't tell me what to do. I, I get to tell other people what to do is, is, is very liberating. Yeah, I bet. And, you know, when you have this freedom to use it, if you're not using it to buy stuff, you know, are you, I guess we've been in a pandemic, but pre-pandemic, are you a traveler? Are you, you know, doing other things? Or are you just waking up and staying up at odd hours? You're essentially running a nightclub life over there. What is, <laughs> what are you doing with your freedom from judges and clients yelling at you? It's actually working more, uh, creating more. I think I was always, I had a DJing background. I would make videos, I would make music mixes. And I realized the common denominator between all those was like creation. I was creating stuff and I took that same energy and now I just apply it with a little bit more, you get more fruits to your labor. So it's, it's creation, be able to create more and have enough control of freedom to be able to do it, to focus my energy based on things that I like versus being told what to do basically. So <laughs> with your newfound free time, you work more and that's yep. okay for your marriage. So, uh, yeah. Again, it's controlled. I work more, but again, it's controlled. So then there are times where it's completely shut off. So let's just say, for example, I keep Sabbath, the Shabbat from Friday evening till Saturday night, where for 25 hours, I'm not, I'm not working at all. Zero. My phone is away. My laptop is away. I don't do any work. I don't, you know, technically I'm not supposed to even talk about work. So, you know, I, I do take, you know, extremes and I also do balance it. If I am hanging out with my wife, you know, I'm not trying to not talk about work and, you know, make it all about that. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So we're going to shift now into uh, the portion of the show. Now you haven't heard any of the other episodes, so you don't know what's coming, but there are questions that I ask pretty much every guest. Um, okay. uh, the most one, the first one's the most important, which is the Oxford comma. Uh, you didn't know this was going to be a grammar test, but the Oxford comma, do you know what it is and do you use it? I no, uh, no, I don't know what an Oxford comma is. It's, it's okay. You're you're we're at about seventy percent of lawyers uh, that we've had on so far, not knowing what it is. It is the third comma in a series. So Sam, comma Josh, comma and uh -huh. Joe went to the store. Uh, you're nodding. Does that mean that you are also enthusiastically in support of this comma? <laughs> I'm an anti. Actually, no. Wait, wait. I do like it because I still like the separation. Uh, it's very clear that this is separated from the, the second and third one is separated. So I'd rather see it. I'd rather use it than not. Good answer. That was the right answer. Just so you know. Good. Yeah. Some people get it wrong, but that's okay. Is that the correct way to do it? Well, there's a debate. Some oh. people say yes. Some people say no. And there are court cases where it, the, de the definition of a clause has hinged on whether there was a comma there or not. Oh, wow. Um, so I really just started this podcast to ask people about this. And I thought it would get boring, but I keep getting emails from people saying, keep asking about the Oxford comma. Why don't people know about this? You know, from, from grammar nerds uh, like myself. So next question is, what is something that people are obsessed with, but you just don't get the point of? Um, the perfectionist side of people. 
uh, that I think it's, just, it's a sign that everybody has to deal with in you know some shape or form is con- if you find yourself constantly refining something, you're wasting time essentially. And you kind of have to let go of that perfection, uh, the perfectionist side of you. And, um, you know, that could obviously could be applied to anything, you know, your legal work, your videos, uh, your writing blog articles, writing emails, just let go. Just, just don't worry. Just get it out. I, your, your motto. And if I can say this on here, I hope it's okay. Is done is better than perfect, right? Done is always better than perfect. Now. I think I had to revise it. Done is always better than perfect. Do you have any superstitions? I don't. I'm actually a pretty, um, I play poker a lot. I mean, not too much, but just home games for fun, not at casinos. Um, but I'm surrounded by a lot of superstition. So I'm actually anti-superstitious just because I've been so surrounded by so much superstition. So no, I'm anti-superstitious. Because the people you play with, you know, always use the same sunglasses or knock three times when they're doing this or that or all that kind of thing. I look at it like it's just somebody who uh, the people, again, I'm using poker for in the poker world. Whenever people are superstitious, it's like you're trying to um, change your own mindset where something with like mindset, either it's going to remind you of something from prior or get you to like associate it with what it was in the past. I don't know. There's something about that. So um, for me, it's always like, what, what do I have to do in this moment? Not based on what it was in the past. Interesting. Interesting. I like that. That's an interesting take on superstitions. And I think you're going to have an interesting take on this last one. Uh, which is what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? You can't do it by yourself. Um, if you think, um, and this one mindset is the more you matter to your law firm, the less your law firm is worth um, so that you don't become the bottleneck of your own law firm. So if you find yourself being the bottleneck of your own law firm, get more help um, and just let go. Uh, again, that whole good, good ties back into the perfectionism. Well, nobody can do it as, as well as me. I had to go through this myself. Uh, where, you know, it was one man operation and then slowly over time, now it's been completely delegated and handed off. And sometimes a lot, a lot of times they're able to do it better than me. I have some VAs, some virtual assistants who, who know about LLCs and things like that way better than me now. So it's pretty cool to see. That's excellent. Well, we'll leave it there. And Sam, where can people find you? Um, legalfunnel.com or if you just Google or you Google legal funnel or also we'll also have a Facebook group called legal funnel members. So if you just search for that instead of Facebook, you will to find it. I'm very open. Josh knows about this about me. I'm very open to just like sharing knowledge instead of our Facebook group. So join us. Um, these things are very, still very early to be able to understand all these systems and things about uh, funnels. It's still very early. So I encourage you, if you got to this point of your, of the podcast is a very good sign that you should probably go do something about it. So feel free to join me in legal funnel and, and, and hopefully able to help you on this journey. Well, great. Hey, I appreciate you coming on and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Josh. And keep up the great work. Amazing. To all your listeners, uh, first of all, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed that you even got up to the here. If you got up to here, uh, make sure to leave an open podcast. It does help out to get a lot of reviews. So if you haven't left yet, just know that if Josh is creating so much value for you guys, the little smallest thing you can do is just spend two minutes to leave Josh a five-star review and write one sentence on why you, you enjoy his show. That will help him a lot. I'm sure he'll really appreciate it. Yeah, I do. And I remind people all the time. And if it's less than five stars, they could just send those complaints uh, to someone else. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all right, great. Thanks, Sam. I appreciate it. Thanks, Josh.
Thanks for listening to Interrogatories with Josh Campson. This podcast is a production of the Montgomery Bar Association in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Views expressed during the podcast are those of the participants and not their employers or the Montgomery Bar Association. No content in this podcast should be construed as legal advice. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Interrogatories, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us that five-star rating and review. For more information, visit us at www.montgomerybar.org.